And welcome, everybody, to this week's edition of Novak Now. I'm Jake Novak here on the Nachum Siegel Network. Again, you can always catch everything that I'm writing on a regular basis on Twitter, at JakeJakeNY is my Twitter handle. And on Facebook, I have two pages, both under the name Jake Novak, N-O-V-A-K. Either one will work for you, and feel free to follow and friend me on Facebook for all those updates. Uh, a lot to get to this week, and I want to do four topics so I'm going to try to get to give them all their justice. Usually what I put last doesn't get much time at all, so I'm going to try my best to pace myself properly uh, uh, the, today on Novak Now. So let me start with you know, the big story in the country as far as what's getting the most clicks and the most attention, and that, of course, is the situation with Governor Ralph Northam in Virginia. Uh, for those of you who, you know, if you haven't followed the story or heard the story, I'm surprised because it's been out there a lot. But if you haven't, I'll try to do this as quickly as I can. And you can check online for the details if you want more details. But uh, it came out on Friday afternoon. Uh, we started to hear about a yearbook picture in Governor Ralph Northam's medical school yearbook. Uh, he is a medical doctor, practiced as a doctor for many years. And uh, it turned out his picture, he had, so it wasn't just one picture, as often is the case in yearbooks, there's a whole montage of pictures for each graduate. And there were a couple of normal pictures of him in his special page, but there was also a picture of a person in blackface, uh, arm in arm with someone in a Ku Klux Klan uh, outfit. And this just came out, even though he was elected governor more than a year ago, and he's had a long political career uh, in Virginia, relatively long. And it's just coming out now. After all these years, he was a 1984 graduate of Eastern Virginia Medical School, uh, once known as Eastern Virginia, Virginia Medical College. Uh, and uh, when I heard that name, it rang alarm bells for me. Something you need to know about me uh, is that because I've lived in so many different parts of the country and because I have a generally decent memory, almost every story that gets in the news, I'll have some kind of six degrees of separation weird type of relationship with. And I got to tell you, over the years and my years in the news business, it drives my colleagues crazy because it sounds like I'm making all this stuff up. And then when they check up on it, it's true. Um, it's one of those weird things. And I have to watch myself because even though it is true, it can get really annoying when every story comes out and I have a personal connection to it. In this case, uh, Eastern Virginia Medical uh, School was steps from my home when I lived in Norfolk, Virginia as a kid. Uh, and uh, a number of the instructors and people involved in that school were members of our shul, uh, as you would expect at a medical school anywhere, even in Norfolk, Virginia. And um, so I know exactly where this is. And uh, even though I left Norfolk in 1981, being that medical school is a you know, four or five year, sometimes, you know, longer process for some people. Uh, I must have been in Norfolk at the same time as Ralph Northam was going to Eastern Virginia, Eastern Virginia Medical School. It used to be known as Eastern Virginia Medical College, but that's another story. But anyway, he, um, he must, he and I must have crossed paths at one point anyway, uh, to make that point. But so this picture comes out and at first, uh, Governor Northam apologizes. Yeah, I'm sorry for this picture. And he doesn't say which person he is in the picture. Uh, I think, it's pretty obvious, based on what I've seen, that he's the person in blackface, uh, although obviously the person in the Ku Klux Klan outfit is no better. It might be worse. You can have, a whole, you can have an entire radio program about which, who's worse in that picture, um, and I don't want to get into that. So that, he immediately apologizes. Then on Saturday, he backtracks considerably and says, I, I'm not in that picture, although every other picture in his montage has him in it. And then he says, you know, but... 
but you know, I, I, I do admit to putting on blackface and, and dressing up as Michael Jackson at another event, not in the one depicted in the picture. So that's where we stand right now, um, as far as his statements. A number of people have called from both parties have called for Governor Northam's uh, 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 resignation. He is a Democrat. I should have said that straight at the top because Lord knows if he were a Republican, the word Repu- the words Republican Ralph Northam, even though that isn't what he is, would have been all over the news. And just to prove that on CNN on Friday night on the Anderson Cooper show, that's how they fonted him. Even though Ralph Northam is a lifelong Democrat in Virginia politics, they fonted him as the Republican governor because, of course, in their narrative – and I'm sure there was just a, a mistake at some point, but the reason why I think the mistake went through in the Freudian way is because in their narrative, in a lot of these people's narrative, only Republicans can be racist, which is just ridiculous, considering the, the Ku Klux Klan was an arm of the Democratic Party for, you know, 100 years in this country, and civil rights in this country were blocked by Democrats. And I know that's the old Democratic Party from 60, 70 years ago. I get it. I, I, I'm not saying that the Democrats are a bunch of racists, but they have a history of racism, especially in places like the South. That you can't deny. doesn't mean they're racist now. And certainly racism is their calling card as a party. I mean, that is just what they do all day and all night, which is why it's so funny and expected that President Trump would tweak them on this. And Saturday night, he sent out two tweets admonishing Governor Northam and talking about how crazy it is that he's still in office and how he should resign. And of course, that sent every liberal's head exploding all over the country because the go-to thing in America today is to call Donald Trump a racist. And uh, it's it's just so annoying that 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 is what they do. And so for them to get, have one of their own in really a, a really, really explicitly racist picture and imagery, not that long ago, 1984 is, is you know, we're talking about post-George Wallace becoming a, a pro-civil rights Democrat. For, you, for those of you who know your history, even George Wallace moderated himself considerably, and he won the Alabama governor's race with the black vote in 1982. So that's two years later, and you still have somebody like Ralph Northam uh, appearing in a picture like this. Uh, I am not accepting his um, explanation that he's not in the picture. Obviously, we'll never know 100%, I guess, until we have some kind of physical evidence one way or the other, but it just is incredible, his denial. So I'm not going to move, I'm not going to spend too much time on, on, the, on that. But it's an interesting story. Um, and you have to understand a little something about Virginia politics to understand where what Governor Northam is doing from a strategic point of view. I think from an ethical point of view, he's doing the wrong thing. But from a strategic point of view, he's making a lot of sense by doing what he's doing. So here's why. Here's why. First off, in Virginia, you can only be governor for one term at a time. You can be governor of Virginia for several terms, just not consecutively. So in other words, you can only be – you can't be reelected. You've got to, to consecutive terms. You've got to wait. And I think only one governor of Virginia has actually taken advantage of that rule and, other, and has sort of run and become governor in two different times in his career. But again, you can't have two consecutive they – have, they have just an uber term limit, a one-term limit on governors in Virginia. That's the way it's been forever. So Governor Northam, Northam who has about three years left on his term, has nowhere really else to go. It's not like he's got a – a re-election campaign to, for a governor to consider right now. What a lot of governors of Virginia do, especially because of that one-term handcuff that they have on themselves, a lot of governors of Virginia spend their governor's term setting up the stage to run for senator, where not only they don't have term limits, but they get a six-year term, and you know how cushy it is for a U.S. senator. That's a great gig. And it's no coincidence that the existing two senators from Virginia, the two Democrats who are senators in Virginia, are former governors of Virginia in Mark Warner and Tim Kaine. It's not not a coincidence, okay? The problem is both Mark Warner and Tim Kaine are relatively young guys. 
they're relatively in there for a while. Tim Kaine was just reelected uh, now, so he he's got pl- in 2018. So there's really no place for Gov- Governor Northam to go right now, as far as politics are concerned. He can't run for governor again. Uh, I think his best shot is maybe to hope that a Democrat wins for president in 2020 and maybe he can get a position. Again, this is all before the picture. The, 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 these plans are blown up right now. He may have been hoping he could get something like the secretary of the Health and Human Services Department, something like that, because he is an MD. And maybe that's what he was angling for, because, again, the, the senators of Virginia are young. Uh, neither one of them is really going to run for president or drop out, it doesn't look like. I mean, you're always in the, waiting in the wings for something like that to happen, but that's not realistic. So this is my long way of saying he really has nothing to lose by sticking around. If he resigns as governor, that means he's got that, that nothingness that was sort of looking – he was facing in his political career unless he got nominated by somebody or appointed to a position in a White House administration is comes just three years sooner. So – It'd be very interesting to see if tremendous if more pressure comes on him. And by the way, those two senators I mentioned, both Tim Kaine and Mark Warner, his fellow Democrats, have urged now publicly Governor Northam to step down. Hillary Clinton's urged him to. Kamala Harris. There's a, a lot of people in the Democratic Party and the Republican Party who are saying he should step down. But if you're Governor, Governor Northam, what's in it for him? You really got to ask that question. What's in it for him to, reti- to resign right now because he's got nothing else to go to? He might want to finish that term out and say, listen, I've committed no crime. Appearing in a picture like this is an ethical problem. It's offensive. It's terrible. But it's not an impeachable offense. I don't think it is. I mean, that'd be an interesting case. Boy, would the Virginia state, you know, state legislature go and try to oust him? I don't think they could do it. Based on this picture alone, that'd be a tough one. That'd be a tough one. So that's the Governor Northam situation. If you're wondering what the heck is this guy still in office for, the answer is where else is he going to go? And, you know, in his case, I think he has nothing to lose until he does. That is, if somebody says, look, we're going to make sure you never work as a doctor again. We're going to make sure that you never get on a board of a hospital. We're going to make sure that you never find a, a, a job at a place that will hire you. Because, you know, listen, if he were a Republican, maybe he could find some ultra, ultra you know, far-right organization that would hire him. It wouldn't pay him anything, probably, even then. But maybe he had that option. But he's a Democrat. And the Democratic um, structure is just not going to give him a position. Now, here's somebody who probably thought he could be the director of Planned Parenthood. Because if you remember, before this whole blackface Ku Klux Klan picture came out, he had spent the week defending this you know, nine-month abortion-type law that Virginia was pushing, along, that New York has already passed. And becoming even more the darling of the abortion, right, abortion rights advocates out there, uh, someone just found out today that Governor Northam has, has received over $2 million in donations from Planned Parenthood over, the, over his political career, um, which, by the way, I think is an outrage. This, Planned Parenthood is a taxpayer you – know, they get taxpayer funds. They get donations from, from people for women's health, and they get taxpayer funds from you and me. Uh, what are they making political donations for? And this goes for conservative organizations also. I'm sure there's plenty of conservative organizations that get some taxpayer money and make political donations. That should be not. That should not be allowed. Okay, that should not be allowed. I'm not giving you money from my tax money so that you can go give it to my political opponents or even to my political allies. It doesn't make sense. So, again, but what does make sense? I think for now, until Governor Northam is really threatened with no livelihood, no chance of ever making another dime. Uh, in any kind of a job for unless he starts his own business or something, uh, it makes no sense for him to step down. 
strategically. I think ethically he should because it's just such a distraction. I don't – listen, I think posing in a picture like that in 1984 is reprehensible. I'm not excusing that. I don't think it's a terrible, 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 terrible crime, never forgive the guy kind of crime. But the problem is he's not admitting it. The problem is he's allowing it to be a huge distraction, and he has a state to run, and Virginia is an important state. It just is. So, But I think he's going to hold on until somebody says, hey, you're out of here. <laughs> you're out of here uh, as far as getting a job ever again and that kind of thing. The next story I want to talk about is one that's been simmering now for almost the entire week, and it's, it's a tough one. Because like all stories, you have, to, you have to reserve judgment on these things until you know all the facts. But the problem is so many people aren't doing that. So that's why I'm wading into it. And that is this alleged assault, racist assault on the actor and singer Jesse Smollett. Jesse Smollett is an African-American. I believe he has one African-American parent and one Jewish parent. He is a star on that show Empire, which came out like a juggernaut a couple of years ago in the ratings and then really fell apart after that. But I believe it's still on the air. And he claimed that on a frigid cold night in Chicago about a week ago, he was attacked by two masked men who yelled pro-Trump comments to him, tied a noose around his neck, poured bleach or some other chemical on him, and then ran away, and he broke a rib. Now, that was the original story, and everyone got outraged about the story, but the story changed. First, the police said, oh, no, he never told us, he never told us anything about pro-Trump comments or MAGA country or any of that when we first spoke to him, so that's not true. But then Smollett said, oh, no, I forgot to tell the police about that. No, that did happen. Okay, so that was our first change. The second change was I broke a rib and and I went to the hospital. That was the report that we got from a number of sources. And now we've learned that there was no broken rib and there was no visit to a hospital. Okay. Then we heard that um, more doubts about whether those pro-Trump comments were being shouted at him. And then Jesse Smollett's musical manager said, you know, for his music career said, oh, no, I was on the phone with him during the attack, and I heard all those comments. And then they asked him, and they asked Smollett for their phones to prove it, and they said no. Okay, a little bit of a suspicious activity there, I would have to say. And now we've learned that in the many hours of surveillance video that they have, Smollett says that he went to a Subway, a Subway franchise, to get something to eat, and that's when he was attacked, and then he went to an apartment. Um, and they're saying now, the police are saying now that as they see the surveillance tapes first of all there's no video of him being attacked none but they do see him getting back into the apartment with the subway sandwich in his hand and of course someone was joking you know if you hold on to a subway sandwich after you've been attacked and had a noose tied around your neck and you still will have that sandwich damn that must be a good sandwich uh again none of this definitively proves whether the attack happened or not but it's it's a suspicious thing now what do i want to talk about this for because the reason why i want to talk about it on novak now is because Almost every Democrat politician, from Joe Biden to Nancy Pelosi to Elizabeth Warren to Kamala Harris to all the usual suspect celebrities, have tweeted the story, have blamed President Trump, have blamed Trump's supporters for this alleged attack, which we really don't know happened. We really don't know if it happened. And if Jesse Smollett made up this story, I would suspect he has some mental issues to go through, which are no laughing matter. You know, I'm laughing about someone holding on to a sandwich. At, you, know, that's a, you know, that's fine. But if this is a, turns out to be a total made-up thing, it's not something to laugh at. It's something to be angry about. And as you've heard me say before here on Novak Now, maybe you see me read in my columns, when somebody fakes a hate crime, which has been an epidemic ever since Donald Trump was elected, people on the left faking hate crimes so that they can smear Trump supporters. But a fake hate crime, my friends, is not really, it's, it's not really a good idea to call it a hoax. And the reason why I say that is because it's the opposite of a hoax. It still is a hate crime. 
And in my opinion, it is a double hate crime. Why? Because it still scares and upsets all the people. So in this case, who, you know, who were targeted in the supposed crime. So in this case, African-American, uh, gay Americans, because Jesse Smollett said that they also yelled anti-gay slurs at him, and he is a gay man. So those people still get frightened, still get that hurt, still feel that pain, even though it may not have happened. Or in the case of all these so many hate, hate, you know, hoax hate attacks, phony hate attacks since President Trump was elected, those people still are hurt by it. In a lot of cases, it's been Jews, so we know. We heard all these bomb threats being called into the JCC or graffiti being written. We were worried, oh my God, you know, and, and you would think that makes sense. But it's a double hate crime because then it also smears innocent people. Anybody who might have voted for President Trump or, or, or supported President Trump is smeared in a phony attack. So that's a hate crime against them, too. So we'll see what happens with this Jesse Smollett thing. We will, we will wait and see. We do know there have been a lot of incidents like this since President Trump has been elected that have been proven to be fake. And they just seem to go down the memory hole. No one seems to get in trouble for it for the most part, although I do believe the one Muslim woman in New York City who claimed that her hijab was ripped off by pro-Trump supporters on the subway, I think she was eventually convicted, and, and I don't think she went to jail. I think she was fined for, for filing a false report. So let's see what happens with this. I don't know how it's going to end, but it doesn't, it doesn't look very credible to me. I'm saying that as my opinion. I'm saying that based on sources that I have who are reporters in Chicago. I, I, here I go again with the Jake Novak has a connection to every story. Again, this is really a, a, a very, very distant connection, though. But, of course, I did live in Chicago. I have, a, I have a, a family that lives there. My family's been there actually for many generations. I only lived there as a graduate student. But as there, while I was there, I was, I was uh, reporting, and I have friends who went on to become reporters in Chicago who have sources in the police department, and they've told me from day one, their sources have told them this looks like it's phony, but no one's going on record about it, so I will reserve judgment. But I'm certainly not going to tweet a bunch of angry things about President Trump. I'm certainly not going to tweet, you know, so I'm looking at you, Joe Biden, and Nancy Pelosi, and all you people who are jumping on the bandwagon to, to bash your political opponents about something you know nothing about. We have no facts, really, in this case, basically. We have not seen any attack on the video. There was no hospital visit. We don't know what happened here. Okay. All we know is that we saw Jesse Smollett. We have we have hundreds of hours of surveillance tape. We see no attack, and but we do see Jesse Smollett walking with the subway sandwich into an apartment, and from that apartment is where he called the police, or somebody called the police. In other words, we know nothing, and the police did us no favor. I guess on Thursday, releasing a picture of and listen to this phrase: possible people of interest. I should say, possible persons of interest. So first of all, person of interest is, all, is, is already nothing. That's not suspect. That means someone who might, have, who might know something about something. But this isn't even person of interest. They said possible person of interest, and it was a blurry photo of two, I guess, men walking in I don't know what direction. I don't know if they're white, black. I don't know if they're what they are. And for the police to release that photo, I think is really irresponsible because a lot of people could see that and say, Oh, uh, I know that jacket. I can't really make it out, but I know someone has a jacket. I'm going to go punch him in the face now. He must have been the one who did this. I mean, if, if, any, if anybody gets assaulted based on those pers- possible person of interest pictures, they should sue the, the police department in Chicago. Although I have, I have sympathy for the police department in Chicago because there's no way they can throw this case in the garbage. If they feel that it's, a, it's phony, they're going to still have to cross every T and dot every I on it. Otherwise, they'll be accused of massive racism. So they're, they're stuck doing this case for God knows how long. And Jesse Smollett, who did a concert the other night, Saturday night, and said, I'm still fighting, and, and just you know, portrayed himself as a victim. If he made this up, he does not look like the kind of guy who's ever going to break down and admit it. 
Somebody once told me, a lawyer once told me, you watch on TV all the time these great courtroom dramas, you know, where someone's getting a tough cross-examination, and finally they break down and they admit they lied on the stand. And every lawyer I, I've known who's worked in, as a trial lawyer has told me that never happens. Now, people break down in court a lot, but they'll break down on direct testimony. In other words, their lawyer or a prosecutor will ask a witness to a crime or a victim in a, cr- in a crime to tell them what happened, and as they tell them the horrible details, they'll break down and cry. So there's plenty of crying in court on the witness stand. But on a cross-examination, people crying and suddenly admitting that they lied because someone is really, you know, Perry Mason, great lawyer. That never happens, okay? You go through the, tr- the, the, the trouble of filing a police charge, going through the whole prosecutorial process, get, sitting in that courtroom to falsely accuse someone, which happens a lot. We know that there's a lot of people in jails who are falsely accused, that when they do DNA testing, we find that out to an embarrassing degree, right? Okay? But the fact is... You go through all those hoops, and, and at the last minute, because some smarty-pants lawyer said three or four words in a row that really got to you, you're going to break down and cry. So, I, so if Jesse Smollett is faking here, I don't expect him to ever, ever admit it, uh, not publicly. So that's just something to not hold your breath for. Third story I want to get to, uh, to today on Novak Now is what's going on in Venezuela. I am an optimist on Venezuela. For those of you, again, if you don't know all the details of the story, this has been playing out for months and months and months now. As the Venezuelan economy, as it embraced a radical socialist agenda under the previous president, Hugo Chavez, who became a dictator. He was democratically elected, but then he became a dictator. And he took what had been a crony capitalist situation in Venezuela, admittedly so, uh, as much as, as I am a capitalist, you know, capitalism runs into a problem when it becomes crony capitalism, when only some people get the full uh, privileges of capitalism. And that happens sometimes. It happens in states. It happens in countries. For example, like when a big corporation gets a massive tax break and they still harm a particular state and they never get punished for it. That's crony capitalism. Okay, happens. So in Venezuela, I think Hugo Chavez was elected because of too much crony capitalism, but he went too far the other way. They went to socialism. And a once prosperous country that was, you know, that's a very rich oil country as far as, and, and by rich, I mean, they've got a lot of oil reserves became a poor one to the point where they don't have enough food in that country. As socialism, again, if you, don't, if you don't manage it, if you don't manage it even close to right, it'll go quickly. But socialism eventually breaks down everywhere. And for those of you who think, oh, no, what about those Western European countries like Denmark and Sweden, those great European socialist countries? I got news for you. Those countries have moved away from socialism bit by bit. That's the only reason why they're still standing on two feet, a couple of them. Okay? But they still have big problems, especially Sweden, because they've imported so many radical Islamists in that country that it's not safe at night in much of Sweden. But that's an is- a different issue, uh, a little bit separate from socialism. But Denmark has very tough rules about their social safety net. You can't be on unemployment forever in Denmark. They're not really a pure socialist country anymore, by the way. So just so you know, Western Europe, if you, if you feel that Western Europe is a success, and, and that's debatable, it's because, if they are, it's because in a lot of cases they moved away from socialism. But Venezuela went for a radical socialism. And again, socialism also has its cronyism. People connected to the government and the ruling party get the same kind of benefits that crony capitalists get. And, and on and on goes that story. So Venezuela is really in this precarious situation. And now the opposition leader, Juan Guaido, has declared himself the true president because he doesn't believe that the last election that re-elected Nicolas Maduro, who's the president, at least in name for now, was legitimate. 
And he's gotten the support of the United States and Canada and a lot of European countries and Israel and a lot of countries are, are supporting Guaido right now. And what everyone's worried about is because supposedly the military is all behind Maduro and this could lead to some kind of bloody civil war. But again, I'm an optimist because what I've heard from my sources in the last few days is that Guaido has been talking to the military and the military has been willing to listen. So we really could have a peaceful resolution to what goes on in Venezuela. And I hope so. One of the wrenches, that some, one of the groups that could throw a wrench in that peaceful uh, uh, resolution is Russia. Now, again, for everyone who wants to believe this narrative that, that President Trump is some kind of a puppet or a spy for Russia, which is just ludicrous for a lot of reasons, this Venezuela story is a problem for you because President Trump's been really pushing this opposition leader and the Russians are all up in arms and have their hair, and f- hair on fire over this because they support Maduro. They use Venezuela as a military base. They get cheap oil from them and they want Maduro in power. He's, their, he's truly their puppet. He's their guy. And Trump is saying, no, I want Guaido. And he's gotten a lot of the rest of the world to, to go along. And Israel also has gone along, and even though they waited a couple of days to recognize Guaido because they're worried about the 7,500 Jews that are in Venezuela. There are still 7,500 Jewish people in Venezuela, which I find amazing because Hugo Chavez was such an anti-Semite. And he welcomed the Iranians in and had a very famous meeting with Mahmoud Ahmadinejad, the previous president of Iran. If I were a Jew in Venezuela, I would have hightailed it to Colombia fast. But there's also a Jewish community, by the way. That would have been my time to leave, of course. Easy for me to say. I know it's not so easy to uproot yourself. But I feel like if Guaido continues to talk to the military, the Russians won't do the 1960s, early 1970s thing and and, and instigate massive violence in the country. I think they'll be forced to kind of get out. So I'm still an optimist. If I'm wrong about it, boy, would I be sorry. But I would really like to see Venezuela end peacefully. But I can end this edition of Novak now with some good news that has already occurred, and that is the U.S. economy. And boy, is this engine of the U.S. economy moving on all cylinders right now. It is booming. We had our latest evidence of that in a double shot on Friday. First, we got a jobs report for January that was supposed to be only 165,000 net new jobs added. Instead, we got 304 net new jobs added, even during a government shutdown, which covered most of the month of January, even during the slowdown in the rest of the world, especially China. We got that BAFO jobs number, and it was really great the month before. They actually revised the December jobs number down, but we're still way up for the year, and it was still a very good number, better than they expected for December anyway, even though they revised it from 312 to 222. And of course, we were plus 304 for January, which was nice. And then later in the morning, we got news that our manufacturing uh, segment of the economy sector has expanded more than expected as well. Now, these two things obviously are related. Listen, I don't know if you guys remember from uh, one of the first jib-jab videos. You know those jib-jab videos where the you know, it's like an animated figures with funny mouths moving up and down. One of the first jib-jab videos that went viral was that jib-jab video called Big Box Mart. Uh, I've posted it on my social media pages, but you can find it. Big Box Mart jib-jab. And you can find it. About 12 years ago, this thing first ran. And it was a smart, even though it was a little kind of funny jingle and didn't have any academic text or citations. But it was a small, it was a smart depiction of why our economy at that time and still is on a precarious sort of ledge here because too much of our economy depends on Americans buying foreign junk and sometimes foreign good stuff, but we're buying too much foreign stuff. And what we're seeing now, and that, that's not sustainable. So what we're seeing now in the last six months or eight months is an American economy that's growing because not so much of consumer spending, but because of domestic production. 
We're making stuff, again, here in the United States. I don't know how long this is going to last. If this is only the result of the tariffs on China, then it could end quickly, if the tariffs end quickly. But I do believe that there are other factors involved as well, including the very low cost of natural gas. So in other words, if you're opening up a factory in America today, the cost of natural gas is so cheap, it's a little bit easier to keep your, your engines running. You know what I mean? So... We have some fantastic news in this country, and if I had to guess, I feel like we have at least another 18 months of non-recession economic strength in this country, um, and that is presented without any political uh, conclusions connected to them. This has been Jake Novak. This is Novak Now for this week. I hope to speak to you again next week. <laughs>